Your knowledge doesn't make a difference. Your listening does. We gain so much more when we say, I don't know. We're so attached to knowing things nowadays, but have you ever known something for sure and even fought for it? And then five years later, you go, how did I ever think that? Truth is unchangeable. So if we're constantly listening for for what's maybe not true or sparks of something we didn't see before, then we're always going to be engaged. We're going to be in this childlike wonder about life, which I think so many people lose when they get attached to knowing something feels much more expansive to me than finding some arrival point. Welcome to the Grant Owen Podcast, where we explore the world of entrepreneurship. Join us as we dive into the nitty gritty of what it takes to start, grow, and scale a successful business. We're on a mission to share our experiences, failures, insights, and advice with others. Whether you're just starting out in your entrepreneurial journey or you're looking to take your business to the next level, Tune in and join the conversation about what it takes to succeed in the world of business. Welcome to the Young and Driven Podcast. I'm your host, Grant. I am sitting here today with Pam Radar. She is an incredible human being who has definitely inspired me in the few conversations that we've had. Um, and I just am so, so eager for you to, to listen to this and get value from this. Um, so if you're listening to this, my request is not that you like, share, subscribe. I don't really care about any of those vanity metrics. What I care about is that you identify one person that you think could benefit from this conversation and you send this to that one person. Um, so my hope is that this can impact someone in particular that needs to hear it and that they can get that unique value that comes from this. And, and, uh, yeah, so please, if you just identify and get any value from this whatsoever, just give generously to one person and help them to identify that this would be something that'd be benefiting them as well. So Pam, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for spending your time with me. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Grant. It's great to be here with you. Awesome. I, uh, I Pam is a, a best-selling author. That's something that I want to start with because it's an a impressive, impressive <laughs> like category of things that not many people have accomplished, but also you have such an eclectic background um, mm. in so many different areas. And there's so many things that you are an expert in that I just want to ask you about. So, so, so walk me through, I, I I've know what I know, but walk me through just things that you've done in the past few years and all the different businesses and different types of people that you currently help right now. So actually, it seems like I've done a lot of things and it seems like it's eclectic, but it's all one thing. And I, like you, just, I I feel really called to help people, Mm. just called to help people. And of course, if we're invested in growth, then how we help people continues to change, grow, evolve, and expand. So I started my journey many years ago in in yoga um, after healing uh, from a, a very abusive uh, an addicted relationship, um, yoga really helped me. And I wanted to give other people the benefit of that help. So started teaching yoga, then eventually owned yoga studios, um, started training yoga teachers. And then at some point I thought, gosh, like this is changing people's lives. How do I get this, these universal truths, this amazing work that is transformative in the, the most lasting way? How can I get this to other people? So then I started, um, several trainings in, in coaching. And, um, then I saw families changing and, and people's relationships healing. And I thought, well, what about corporate Canada? I live in Canada. So what about corporate Canada? What about corporate America? What if we brought these heart led leadership tools? If we looked at life's greatest 
value as in being in relationships and, and taught people how to heal relationships and thrive in relationships, then wouldn't the world be a better place? So that led me to create Shift Labs, which is a coaching leadership platform. Um, and I, we do one-on-one coaching. We do corporate leadership development. We do relationship stuff. Um, and and during the pandemic, I thought, well, what the heck? Maybe I'll write a book. <laughs> so <laughs> I continue to own yoga studios because that's where it all started. It's my passion. Yeah. It's my heart. Um, but I am, I am driven to, I feel compelled to continue to expand the reach of the most important work in the world, which in my estimation is actually the truth, seeking the mm. truth. Mm. I love yeah. that. I love that. Um, this is a simple question, but I want to ask, what is the truth? Mm. Yeah. Seeking the truth. If I told you, I knew it. If I told you, I knew the truth, then you should hang up on me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I believe that when I talk about seeking the truth, what I'm talking about is not some sort of dogmatic point of view about something, but continuing to let go of the things that are untrue hmm. the beliefs the systems the uh, viewpoints that that are just false that keep us stuck and to continue to seek the truth means continuing to be looking at ourselves the truth of our power the truth of our ability to create our lives and ourselves and the truth of our connectedness to each other and all things Mm. And then to something greater than us, whether you call that God or the universe or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. I think, was it Orson Scott Card says, uh, we question all of our beliefs except for what we truly believe because those we never think to question. Yeah. I, li- I like that thought because essentially you're tapping into, uh, like, I guess my question is more so, is there an objective truth? Um, but I like how you you kind of, I like how you answer that because you're saying you're you're discovering what is untrue. Yeah. And that's an important thing. It's an opposite perspective. A lot of people want to approach things and say, I know this is versus saying, okay, let me just look at this and assess everything and and figure out what isn't. Um, I love that a lot. I learned a long time ago from a very great teacher. I've been so blessed to work with really masterful world renowned teachers. And one of my teachers, Baron Baptiste, he said, your, your knowledge doesn't make a difference. Your listening does. Hmm. Hmm. So I think about, we, we gain so much more when we say, I don't know, I don't hmm. know. And, and, and we're so attached to knowing things nowadays, but have you ever known something for sure and even fought for it? And then five years later you go, how did I ever think that? Yeah. Like, not, you know, our, our points of view change, but the truth is unchangeable. So if we're constantly listening for, for what's maybe not true or sparks of something we didn't see before, then we're always going to be engaged. We're going to be in this childlike wonder about life, which I think so many people lose when they get attached to knowing something. So yeah. shedding untruths feels much more expansive to me than finding some arrival point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I want to go, I want to go to your, your, that coach that you were talking about, I think in 2010, you you talk about how you found him and you scraped every last dime to work with him. Um, what are your thoughts on coaching? Because someone that is usually in that position, they're not looking to get coaching. They're thinking, I don't have enough money for it. I can't receive it. They they need help. They want help. And you're brought to your point where you're almost brought to your knees. 
and you're needing some level of answers. Um, first off, what did that investment return for you? And then what would you say to people that probably feel like they're in a similar spot and feel like they need outside help but don't know where to get it? Wow. Yeah, that's a great question. What did that What did that investment return to me? I'll answer that first. It gave me my life back. Hmm. It gave me relationship with my family. I have a son who uh, became a heroin addict and uh, was in addiction for 15 years. And it gave me my relationship with my son. It gave me my sanity. There is no price. I would go, if I were to go back to that day, you know, and I, at the time, I think it was $3,500 or some, you know, like something like that. Mm-hmm. And if it was $350,000, I would still, if I could go back today, I would scrape it up and find it because it gave me everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that the moment that we invest in ourselves, we say, Hey, like I am the most important part, like I, I have to heal myself before any of this other stuff matters. It doesn't matter what kind of car I drive or, you know, anything like that, unless I, I am at peace or have some sort of equanimity within myself, none of that's going to matter. So the investment has to be first and foremost in yourself. Now, before I invested that money in myself, like I scraped up every penny. In fact, my dad loaned it to me, you know, Mm. (laughs) and, um, but what happened was I, I got, my teacher's book like 10 years before that. And I just read it and I memorized it and I learned and I was like, it sparked something in me. So if you don't have $3,500, take $20 and buy a book, invest in yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah. I actually, that's, that leads me to a follow-up question because there's so much co- coaching. E-learning is almost, it's becoming more and more saturated. Um, do you think that the power came from him and his information and what he was saying in whatever that $3,500 course was, or did it come from your investment in yourself and you wanting to make that $3,500 count? Twofold. hundred percent. I, I, I wanted to make that count because, um, you know, it was a lot of money to me at the time. It was a, it was a big investment and, and I had four kids and I was like, how am I going to do this? You know? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to make it count, but really what it was, was that this man was not afraid to speak the truth. He doesn't censor himself. And he's not concerned if people like him. He cared that I got free more than he cared if I liked him. And what he said to me was, you are a control freak. You know, and when he said it to me, I was like, no, I'm not. And I'm like arguing with the guy that I just paid all this money to. And, And I could hear myself and he's like, you're doing it now. Sit down. And he said it so kindly and compassionately, but you know what? I was so sick of people blowing smoke up my ass and and Mm. telling me you're doing great. And you know, you had a hard time. And I loved that someone's like stood for me and told me the truth. And then I was addicted to the truth. I was like, just tell me the truth because I can deal with that. And then I can take next steps. Yeah. And so I wanted to then become, because there's, you said coaching saturated. So to answer the second part of that question, there are a lot of coaches out there that are trying to manage people's perceptions of them. And with the whole sort of woke movement, afraid to say, you know, the wrong thing and and all of that. And um, I seek out high flame coaches that tell me the truth. And those kind of coaches are not saturated. There's no, the the market's not saturated there. Yeah. 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 You become your own niche based on your personality and your, your, 
your tonality. I, so can you, yeah. How much have you spent on coaching in general over the oh years? Boy. If we count like yoga teacher trainings as well, which are kind yeah. of similar situations. Yeah. Probably yeah. Maybe 60, $70,000. I love it. I love it. I, I've seen something to be consistent with CEOs at all levels, founders and CEOs at all levels, where they pay an exorbitant amount of money uh, to the common person, to the person that probably would say that, like, oh, my word, 60000 Like, I've spent probably over twenty, twenty-five thousand $25,000 in the last year on coaching, right? Um, people look at that and they say that's such a bad investment. You can find information online for free. Um, what would what would you yes to almost you know continuing on this like search for truth what would you say to that person that says the investment in themselves isn't worth it because they can find it online yeah number one the the greatest thing that i could say to that person your insight doesn't change you hmm. action does and if there's no one there to be accountable to then, you know, wherever you go, there you are. You've got, you've managed to get yourself this far with, you know, where, where you are, but you need someone who's been further than you. You need someone who has traveled further up the path than you that can actually show you the next steps that you don't know how to take information. That's just knowledge. Your knowledge doesn't make a difference. Your listening does. Hmm. A coach is going to help you uncover things you don't know about yourself and then hold you accountable to move into those uncomfortable spaces that you, you justify, rationalize and defend not moving into yourself. Hmm. If knowledge was enough, we wouldn't need coaches in the world. If knowledge was enough, we wouldn't need, you know, all, the problem of dieting would be solved. The problem of parenting would be solved. The problem of everyone would know how to build a business. Yeah. Knowledge is nothing without action. And yeah. a coach is going to help you see why you're not taking action and, and overcome those obstacles. So yeah. that investment's really important. And then the investment in self says, hey, universe, are, are you listening? I actually, I'm, I'm all in now. I'm not practicing by the exit door. I'm not creating a plan B here. I'm all in and I'm ready for, ready for action. Yeah. So action's the difference really. I love that. And what you're trying to say as well is that the investment plus the person adds a level of accountability where mm -hmm. if we're holding ourselves accountable, some people are able to do that. And some people you can learn a lot just by um, your zeal for, for wanting to learn. But what paying does is it makes you feel more motivated to get a return on the investment and it makes you more eager to listen and be held accountable to whatever that person says, which is why I really like these different price points and these levers where it's like the person that invests $25 in a book, mm -hmm. um, the, you know, a lot of people, uh, majority of people actually buy books and never read them. 90% mm -hmm. of people purchase a book. And they don't read it, and even fewer actually implement the 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 truth within the book. Um, and so, if you are a part of that percentage that actually buys and and applies, that's a really powerful thing. Uh, okay, so I, I want to shift gears here. Um, you there's there's an element about you that's extremely spiritual, and I'm sure it's driven by by yoga. Um, talk to me about that because I am someone who's probably uneducated in that space. I know of yoga, but I think of it more as an exercise. Um, talk to me about, um, talk to me about your experience and the healing process that comes through yoga and the healing process that comes through, through the community that, that that's there. 
Yeah. So, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm a believer in every road leads home. Like it's not, yoga is not the only way by any means. And some people find that in their Christian faith or their, like whatever they find it in there, but there's the element of community, but yoga poses, poses themselves. Um, there's some somatic healing that happens there. We can move through some difficult things through, through the physicalness of our bodies, but the real healing in yoga comes from seeking the truth. The first law of transformation is to seek the truth and it's to confront our limiting beliefs, to um, follow a set of guidelines and standards. Like the, there's the 10 commandments in the Bible and in yoga, um, there's an eight limbed path. And the first of the eight limb, the first two of the eight limbs are called the yamas and niyamas. And there is said a code of conduct, like non-harming, tell the mm -hmm. truth non-stealing, very similar, all universal truths intersect, right? Like the, I mean, all, yeah. or all spiritual teachings intersect at the point of universal truth. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think that I was just very hungry and I found something that um, enticed me, worked for me. Um, and, it, and again, it's not the only way I now also work with, um, uh, Joe Fox Dreamer, who's a, a, a native, um, uh, an indigenous shaman. Um, and I, I, I'm very interested in spirituality of all kinds. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so so talk to me about the process and how, because I'm, I'm thinking through, um, there's so much of your story that's interwoven with trauma. Um, mm -hmm. And your energy reflects a certain level of joy that it would be uh, without, without knowing that, without being aware of that and without being aware of your story and what you've experienced. Um, it would not, it would, it would come as a surprise to me of how much you've processed. Um, what was the biggest driver of that healing for you? Was it the investment as a whole? Was it, was it um, the, the yoga training with the yoga coach? Was it the yoga community as, as a whole? Was it moving on? Was it taking action? Like what, what helped you over the years process the trauma in a way where you feel like, yep, I have been able to heal from this and I can help other people heal from it? That's a really great question because it's, it's, it's sort of vast. And I would say it's maybe all of those things, but if I could pinpoint one tool, it was something taught to me in yoga, which is also taught in personal development in a different language, but it's a tool called drishti. Okay. Drishti means focus where you put your attention. So to put your attention on what you want to have happen and be for it, instead of spending your life running away from what you don't want to have happen. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be foolish. I don't want to be humiliated. I don't want, I don't want, or yeah. I do want this. So that was the biggest turning, but like really shifting. And what I, what I learned was that people, you say, I have joy for someone who's been through so much trauma. Sure. But everyone's been through trauma. Here's the kicker. We all have the life that matches the story that we tell about that life. Hmm. So I can say, oh my God, my husband tried to murder me and he went to prison. And then I was a single mom and it was awful. And I got a second divorce. And then my son became an addict and it was so hard. And then guess what? That would be my life. Now, all those things did happen. But I choose to tell this story, Grant. Thank God it was me. Thank God it was me because it didn't crush me. I took it. I learned. I healed. And then I am, I have touched and moved and hopefully inspired thousands of people and helped them. 
if it was anyone else, it might've been too much. And it was me. Thank God. Thank God it was me. And thank God I had all those things happen because I have no judgment for other people that wind up in those situations. I have no judgment for people that are wherever they're at on their path. Cause I've been there. And, yeah. um, and I can reach a hand back, you know, Ram Das said, we're all just walking each other home. And I really deeply feel that. And I, I feel like we're all just on the same path. And if I can reach my hand back and say, Hey, I, I, I can show you the way. And it's worth every single thing I've been through. And I'm not only okay with it, I'm deeply grateful. That's hmm. the story I choose to tell. It's like this side of my hand, there's a diamond ring on this side. And you would tell me there's a diamond there. And I could sit and argue that there's no diamond because I'm looking at this side. Hmm. Both are equally true. But whichever story I tell is the one that creates my reality. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And you're, you're tapping into something that I know you, I know we want to talk about, which is victim mentality. You could have just as easily chosen to to let your circumstances dictate your personality and your perspective on life. What would you say to people in general that experience? Because I, I think that's something that my generation really struggles with, and the people that are listening to this really struggle with, which is um, letting letting your circumstances dictate your perspective, um, positively or negatively, but primarily negatively. Um, I think a lot of people are driven by uh, they give power in a lot of ways to um, to things they faced versus saying, this is what I control. This is what I don't control. Um, so, yeah, tell me about that and tell me tell me how what you would say to those people that have been through a lot, but have an opportunity to make that choice. I'll share with you a story. Um, I, I get a lot of moms of, of addicts reach out to me and I do a lot of work with them trying to reconcile, you know, um, this with this person that they don't even know anymore. Anyways, I had a mom recently um, reach out to me. I was working with her and then her son was found dead a few days later mm. in his place by himself. He had overdosed. And, um, you know, she was, she said, I keep getting stuck in this this, this shouldn't have happened. And, and, and I don't want to be a victim. How do I not be a victim? And I said, well, we all have to feel grief is something that we feel mourning is something that we do, but healing comes when we ask this one question, who will I become that I wouldn't have become anyway, if this didn't happen to me, who will I choose to become that I wouldn't have become anyway, if this didn't happen to me? What will I, how will I give meaning? If we go back to Viktor Frankl's the, um, Man's Search for Meaning, whatever meaning we give something illustrates the rest, like the, the how we experience the rest of our lives or pardon me, creates how we experience the rest of our lives. So to give meaning to tragedy and trauma is one way that we, that we heal. Now, if we give it the meaning that life is happening to me, you're going to be ever destined to have that experience. The greatest power, this is the greatest truth, is that you are you have it that life is happening to you, but you're creating it all. So listen carefully to the stories that you tell because that's you spinning the web of your life. Yeah. Does that come naturally to you or was that learned? So you you saying that I control the story, I say what the story is. The the subjects are are not dictated oh, no, by me, the results are. I learned that I, um, I, I had a natural drive to never want to be seen as a victim, but I'll tell you where that, um, so when you talk about victim mentality, I get a little bit like 
um, everyone, all of us have it. And if you think mm-hmm. you don't have it, you're lying to yourself. We all have yeah. it. Cause sometimes we say, we say, Oh, that guy, or they're such a victim. Well, now we're a victim of them annoying us. Like, you know, so yeah. they're saying in yoga, BKS anger said, if you see a fault in another, immediately seek to remedy that same fault in yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I try to kind of stay away from that, but the, um, I always had this drive not to want to be seen as weak or as a victim. So I never took that stance, but that was a flaw because it left me in a, in a very abusive marriage where I was almost murdered because I wouldn't ask for help Hmm. because I wouldn't say, I don't know what to do here. I'm in over my head. So I think we actually have to, it's not so black and white. We have to all look at where am I, where do I have a victim mentality and where is maybe my need to manage perceptions, the perceptions of me that others have getting in the way. And that's what I'm talking about when I say seek the truth. It's like kind of managing all of that. It's not so black and white. Hmm. Interesting. I do like that. I think there's, I think there's nuance to that. Um, I guess, how does this relate to corporate environment? How does this relate to to our need to invest in relationships and heal in our relationships? We all know of billionaires who are miserable. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we've all heard the stories of people who are um, uh, just achievement based, and they go, 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 and they get, 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 but they're never satisfied because we are meant. We are tribal. We are meant to be in relationship with each other, and and things shared are exponential. You know, when we share joy, it becomes exponential. Yeah. Now, when we're in the corporate environment, if it's sort of every man for himself and there's no connection, then we raise the levels of anxiety. We raise the instances of mental health problems. We raise the instances of um, employee absenteeism, of employee turnover. That just costs the corporate environment money. You know, so if we want to talk about it in terms of money, it's costly to have disconnection. Yeah. But when we can teach people to communicate vulnerably, authentically, um, and collaboratively in ways that lead us closer to each other, that benefits everyone. And people are way more likely to report satisfaction, fulfillment, because they feel like they matter and that they have people that matter to them. Yeah. What... What's the so if you could talk about your target target demographic for corporate environments because there's an obvious benefit for HR um, and there's probably an obvious benefit for leaders um, but for someone like say they would supposed to, they're supposed to go through Shift Labs and 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 take this like it's a, I think you have a 200 hour um, certification process a training process for people um, who who would most benefit from it I mean you can say everyone but in your eyes like who would be the the type of person that would most benefit from needing this and what's the impact that you've seen it have when they apply it within their corporate environments? Yeah. So the person who has been sort of achievement based, maybe the, the person who's a business person that made the business big, and this happens a lot, very successful at business. And now they have all these people to manage and they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Guess what? All those people are looking to you and you got to get those people skills. Some people would call them soft skills. I call them the most important skills. You got to get them. If you want to grow your business in a meaningful way, once you get there and you're, it's a mess, stop worrying about the business part right now. Deal with the people part because as Simon Sinek says, you know, your customers are people, 
your employees are people that like businesses are people. Yeah. You need to have people skills. Um, so people who, who own and run businesses that, uh, that they're finding that they don't have the skills to, to lead in ways that retain and create satisfaction and fulfillment because, and this is where I disagree with um, one of our mutual coaches, you are creating a legacy everywhere you go. And it's a legacy of connection and kindness, a legacy of authentically seeing people and having them feel being seen and acknowledged, or you're creating a legacy of achievement. Well, so on this, because I think, especially when we talk about higher level people, leadership people, and when they start businesses, something I see as a consistent issue is balance. Um, and I think balance can look different for each person um, in terms of what are your values and how much time are you dedicated to them. What I want to first bring it to you, and then I want you to, to talk about it in more of a general sense. But for you, what does balance mean? What does balance mean in your life? Mm, I'm very clear on my, on my values. Um, and here's the thing, what balance means to me is at each life phase that I've been at, I reassess my values because I should value different things at different points in my life. And therefore balance will look different. Yeah. My, my top values are freedom and impact right now. So I, I weigh everything against that. Like how much impact can I make? And then how much freedom does that help me and, and those around me get? Um, but I'm an empty nester now. My kids are grown up. I have the time to like really invest in more into my business and more into, um, creating impact in the world. Whereas, you know, when my kids were growing up, balance looked more like spending time with them and putting career more on the back burner. So I think it's a life phase thing that we should, we should always check in because, what you valued and what was balanced at 25 is different at 35 and 45 and 55. Yeah. Balance is also kind of a new agey term that we use that I think is a little false. It's kind of like stepping more realistically, like stepping out onto a slack rope and like you find balance in that moment. How do I get balanced today with what's going on with the energy I have with what's happening out in the world? Like, we're being consumed by wildfires where I am right now. Like our whole town just about burned down, you know? And so how you find balance on a day like that is very different than how you find balance when everything's all sunshiny and wonderful. Yeah. It's just really what's most important to me today. And how do I take a step towards that? That's how I look at balance. Love it. Okay. So tell me, tell me about that. What to you do you dedicate time towards and how does that reflect your balance? I dedicate a lot of time to my habits and practices. Um, I also very much value uh, investment in myself. So I get up and I do gratitudes every morning. I um, I write 10 gratitudes. I read every morning something nonfiction. Uh, I meditate every single morning. I move my body for a minimum of 60 to 90 minutes every single day for 30 years. I don't miss. Um, and what those things do is they create resilience. Now, if you think of it, and I invest in community, so people like investing in the relationships. Now, here's the thing. When something comes and pulls the rug out from underneath you, you could lose your balance. But if you have practices and habits and community, you're far more likely to be able to maintain your balance even when you wobble. Yeah. So the investment in the habits is huge, but that comes also from having invested in good coaches that taught me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, 
talk to people because this is going to be a uh, this is going to be kind of almost an accountability slap in the face to some, um, and it is every almost every single episode because most people I talk to, especially when we talk about this type of topic, they reference some kind of daily habit, and I think the the theme is there's intentionality, there's intentionality to 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 do something, and it could be. You know, like pe the way people approach activity is different, but almost everybody invests some time to do something active. Almost everybody invests some time to learn. Almost everybody invests some time to do something spiritual or meditate. Um, is that something that everyone should do, or is that something that only people that have ambitious goals should do? If you have ambitious goals, you have to do it, or you won't like, unless you fall into those things by accident. Yeah. And, and no, you don't have to do it. Here's the thing. I would never impose what I want, my goals, you know, on someone else. But what I can say is that if you feel anxious, it's likely and anxiety is an epidemic. Depression is an epidemic. If you feel those things, it's often because you are living out of alignment with your truth. Yeah. You're probably living what I would call an outformed life meaning that you're worried about what everybody else is thinking. You're taking advice from everyone around you. You're doing all of those things. But when we have habits that are for us, sitting still in meditation, learning for us, journaling, things like that, that's helping us trust our own intuition, our inner knowing, and so that we can live an informed life and move and breathe and, and have our lives come from the center of us instead of keeping up with the Joneses that can't even keep up with themselves yeah. comparison, all of that stuff. So I think that in order for us, you know, if you want to have more equanimity in your life, consider that habits are the way to go. And if you like all the drama and chaos and anxiety and depression, and you get something from that, you know, I'm not going to knock you for it, but if you want more equanimity in your life and you want more balance, feel like feeling peaceful to me, that's really the goal. Yeah. And start building some habits. Absolutely. Are you at peace if you still have things that you want to achieve? A hundred percent. And I'll tell you why there's a, a yogic teaching called Santosha and Santosha means contentment. It means like being deeply grateful for everything that is acceptance of what is. But one of my teachers um, translates that Sanskrit word to mean content and perpetually unsatiated. Mm. And that is the part of us that taps into to God, spirit, the universe, whatever you want to call it, and, and knows that we are limitless. And so, yes, I'm so grateful and I'm happy and I'm content and I feel peaceful. And I'm so grateful to know that I'm limitless and that I always will have a thirst for experiencing everything out there in life. So I seek achievement, not to prove anything now, just to see how far I can go, just to like... At the end of my life, I want to get there and be like, wow, I used up every little bit of magic that was available to me. Love that. Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with contentment versus complacency. Um, and a lot of people, in my opinion, get stuck on complacency because I don't tend to see many people who are content. Usually, if you're content, uh, it's because you have some kind of spiritual thing that makes you feel content. So you have peace in something else. You have peace in something outside of yourself. But when you look inward and when you are looking inward generally, 
um, you tend to be either complacent or just jealous um, of other people, of other people's success, or uh, how other people are doing something that you want to do and you think you could do it better, but you're not. What would you say to the person that's complacent? The person that probably needs, yeah, the person that probably needs a kick in their pants, to be honest. They're disconnected. They're disconnected and dissatisfied all the time. You know, when you when you look around and you're pointing the finger at everyone else, you're either jealous or you're blaming your circumstances, you know, it's time to look in the mirror. Um, if you're complacent, you're likely apathetic, like, well, it doesn't really matter and I, I can't get anywhere anyway. Consider that you're being operated by your doubts. Your, it might seem like you got it all together on the outside, but there's a deep-seated inner sense of being unworthy, a fear of being found out, um, the fear of failure. It's easier to stay stagnant than it is to take a risk and fail. And so if you're complacent, maybe seek the truth of that. And underneath your complacency, I would guarantee 100% that there is a deep-seated sense of feeling unworthy and my advice, my, my request, my reaching of my hand back to you would be like, doubt your doubts. You mm -hmm. were born to do amazing things and you're more capable than, you know, you, you too are limitless and start surrounding yourself with people that aren't complacent. Surround yourself with people that see the greatness in you and that encourage you and embolden courage in all the people around them. Complacent people hang around with complacent people. Hmm. Versus people who seek out more truth seekers. Yeah. Environment yeah. is everything. You know, Ed Milet says that, like, environment is absolutely everything. And there was actually a study done at Harvard not that long ago. I think the guy's name is David McQuillan. I could be wrong. Um, and he found that the greatest predictor of happiness uh, over time was people who refresh their inner circle people regularly as they grow. So the people yeah. who have access to you and I surround myself with people that call me up and call me out and call me up, like to greatness and say, why aren't you, why don't you have 500,000 followers? You can do them, <laughs> you know, and I like, you got to hang out with people like that. That's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, you're probably hanging out with other people sitting on the couch, smoking weed and watching movies. Like, <laughs> you know, it's funny though. So speak to me because I am that person for other people. I'm mm -hmm. that person where it's hard to be friends with me. In fact, people stop being friends with me because it's I can't sit in a room with you and, and not, I wouldn't say challenge, but just tell you that I believe in you and think that you're you're more capable than what you're currently doing, mm -hmm. um, that you're probably thinking too small. And so I say, why don't you think about this? You vocalized three times tonight that your dream is this or you want to do this. And I say, I think you could do it. And here's three ways you could try it if you just want to put it to practice. But I've never had someone do that to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I pay for coaching. Right. And I pay for coaching partially because I love being in environments around people that are truth seekers, that people that want to push themselves to the next level. Um, speak to me because I, I'm, I think I also fit in that category where I feel, uh, I, I fear failure and it could be just because I'm new in the entrepreneurial journey. Right. So there's, there's, there's new risks that, that I'm freshly aware of, especially as a, as a parent, as a father with of two young kids, I fear failing them. And mm -hmm. I have absolute confidence in myself to achieve the things I want to achieve. And in my, in my mind, impact the impactful. That's like, that's what I want to do. Um, I have a ton of confidence. That I'm capable of doing that. 
and that if I just continue on the path for a long enough time, it will happen. But I have a, it's not crippling, but it's a, it's a deeply seated fear, a deeply rooted fear of failure. Um, so what do you say to people like me that, that approach you and, and, and say like, yeah, how do I believe in myself more? Mm-hmm. Welcome to humanity. <laughs> Doubt is the human condition. In fact, in the yogic teachings, the Bhagavad Gita has written about man's um, battle between doubt and dharma. Dharma is like our purpose, like following our purpose and self-doubt. It's the human condition. So there's nothing wrong there. But again, I would say continue to doubt your doubts with action. So keep stepping one foot in front of the other. Keep doing, you're doing the amazing things. I love your story. I love that, you know, you told me where you came from, how you got into this and that you want to help people and you're stepping into this amazing journey. I think it's incredible. And to me, you're in the like 1% of people in the world that's really, truly going to succeed because you've got the right heart for it. And you've got the right idea that action precedes confidence. Hmm. Action precedes self-worth. I say, act like someone who has total belief in themselves And after you take enough action, then suddenly one day you wake up and you're like, wow, I did pretty good. I think I might have some. (laughs) Well, so so then follow up on that. I love that. Thank you. And I probably, it sounds like I need to be interacting with you more if that's. Can I I give you one more thing? (laughs) Do it, please. So confidence. I hear a lot about confidence in the personal development world, but I personally love this. Confidence, if you pull the word apart, the Latin parts, con means with and fidant means faith. Mm. to go with faith Mm. have faith in your intention to do good in the world have faith that you are supported by something greater than yourself in that endeavor because you were born to do something great Mm -hmm. and you are one of the fearless people following your path so go with faith towards your dreams Mm. that's beautiful that's beautiful thank you tell me tell me what's the difference between confidence and arrogance Arrogance is putting yourself above someone to make yourself feel important or better. Mm. Confidence is um, the understanding that you can perform a skill or a task and have a desired outcome. You know, Tony Robbins famously says, it ain't bragging if you can back it up. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so to me, I go with, with faith that I, my heart is right. I'm, I'm in right alignment with my creator and with my intention. And so I go with faith that I will be supported in that along the way. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I have I have enough experience being backed up by the universe on that to know that that is so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like I like what you're saying. It's, it's uh, what you're talking about is evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's easy to have confidence in evidence. There's a lot of people that are starting their journey though and they don't have evidence. And they might have confidence. They might have a blind ambition, which is better than no ambition, but still blind ambition. When when did you wake up one day and realize that that you had confidence and it wasn't uh, it was backed by the evidence that you that you realized that you you earned? Well, here's the thing. You know, we talk about fake it till you make it. 
it's truly how it is. You have to act like someone with confidence till you don't. I got up and taught yoga classes and taught tons of seminars in front of hundreds of people and spoke in big environments like I knew what I was talking about. And then I'd go home and be screaming my head off at my kids like a maniac because I didn't realize my life was falling <laughs> apart. And like, you know, and eventually though, like I was, uh, I would say that my self-improvement journey kind of got started um, from a place of, and I think I, I'm getting to this place because I think this is what starts a lot of people on this journey. I had a lot of shame for my choices that I'd made earlier in my life and I felt very unworthy. And so I got into doing good work and trying to help people as some kind of penance or cover up so no one would know how bad I was inside. But you know what? At some point, I just transform. You just do keep doing the actions. You keep doing the work. You keep showing up in community. And eventually it doesn't matter why it started. You do have the evidence. Hmm. And then something is altered. I couldn't tell you when that actually happened. Somewhere down the road it happened. And then my motives changed. But you said that people just starting out, they don't have evidence. And I'll dispute that. Because here's the thing. Our brains are wired with a two to one negativity bias right? Like we're always going to look for the negative. Uh, Maxwell Maltz wrote a book in the 1960s called Psycho-Cybernetics. And he talked about self-image and and the power of recalling success. So let's say somebody's trying to start a business and they say, I've never done business before. I can't, I have no idea how to do this, blah, blah, blah. And like always and never are strong words. Go back and say, did you ever run a lemonade stand? Did you, did you work for McDonald's and learn their system? Like you've actually recall success because there is evidence that you can be successful at what you want to be successful at. You're just not looking for it. There is evidence that you're talented, that you're capable, that you're, uh, you know, all of that. If you look for it. I've also noticed that some people have evidence and failure, which I actually don't mind that either. Um, there's an evidence that I went and did this and it didn't work. Hmm, and yeah. so therefore I can now affirm that if you're like me and you fit these categories and you try this, it probably won't work. That's actually, I, I don't mind that either because at least it shows that you've done something. The thing I struggle with is that um, young ambitious people, they they put all of their evidence in their intentions. Um, and I think I'm talking to people that are probably saying it's the entrepreneur, the mm. person that might be in corporate world that has like always wanted to do that thing, always wanted to, to jump and believe in themselves. Um, or it's the, or it's the, um, naive kind of younger person, um, naive in a positive way, because mm-hmm. you still have that child, like I can do whatever I want. The world is my oyster. Um, and, and it hasn't been met with negative realities. Um, I think intention is pretty sacred in the sense that like when we, when we are genuine in our intentions and our intentions are good and we stick to them and we see through them, that's always a positive thing. I just think that far too many people bank on their intentions. And you see this in the corporate world every day. People who apply to, apply to jobs, people who interview for jobs, they intend to follow through and over deliver on what they're promising. They're able to say, I meet this job description. I'm the right candidate because I can do this. When the reality is that the majority of the corporate world figures out how to succeed doing as little as possible 
um, in order to meet their standards um, versus the business world. When you talk about people like you who are saying, how can I impact people? You tend to think, how much can I do? How much so, more can I do to deliver for you? The difference that I hear in all of that underneath is it's moving from me to we. Hmm. If you're focused on me all the time, what can I get? How, what can I, who, who's looking at me? Yep. What can I do? Me. And yes. this happens for all of us. You know, we all know that we're part of something great when we're little. You know, you think you're great. You have kids. And like when they're little, they just think they're so awesome. And they know they a know princess. she is a princess. Yeah, totally. They think they're absolutely wonderful. And then something happens. You get embarrassed in the schoolyard or someone says mm-hmm. something or maybe for some it's trauma, you know, whatever, where we think I'm separate. I'm different. I'm not good enough. And most people will spend their lives trying to cover that up, right? And then, so it's like, look at me, look at my accomplishments. Even, you know, I work with a lot of people that are very high achievers, doctors, lawyers, all that stuff. They're so effed up, Grant. (laughs) Because that achievement has just been a reaction to their deep sense of, you know, inadequacy. Um, So moving from me to we, going like, I'm a part of something greater. How can I contribute mm. to the greater? Like when we, when we operate from contribution, um, we get more fulfilled. Now people don't figure that out when they're young, they go and they do the me, 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 I, 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 and they star in the movie of me, myself, and I directed by me, myself, and I <laughs> produced by me, 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 and I, 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 yeah. and then, and then they feel empty and they wonder why they feel empty, but that emptiness is beautiful. Because get this, life is not just about joy. Life is not just about happiness. The whole is the goal. That emptiness is what perpetuates seeking of the truth. Mm. So Mm. I don't judge those people on their journey there. I was there once too. And then I got, it was the rock bottom empty that made me seek the truth and get rid of all that illusion and realize what really mattered. I love that. I want to I want to return to something we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And I get your feedback on this. There's the there's power in saying I define my story and I've experienced all this and I get to 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 shed it in whatever light I'd like to. There's that and then there's the fear of the future. When you've experienced something negative, you tend to think that more negative things are going to happen. So for you and your life and all the trauma you've experienced, um, I, and I want I want to I, I use that word, but it just it definitely feels inaccurate the way that you're describing it because you you keep you keep vocalizing gratitude towards it because of what it's brought you. Um, how do you view the future? Mm. And do you and when did you start viewing it as not something that was coming against you, but something that you were going towards? I really had to learn about how the brain works to get that because we have paradigms, our subconscious mind is wired in a particular way. But when we're faced with a new situation, not to get into it too deeply, but when we're faced with um, something unknown, all the brain has to go to for reference to keep you safe, because its job is to keep you safe from saber-toothed tigers, right? So it's like going, okay, well, we don't know what this situation is, but I can go to the past and it goes, oh no, there was failure there shut it down. Let's get out. This is bad. Now here's the interesting thing about brain science. 
if you envision a compelling future, so, you know, vision boards that some people think they're woo-woo, they are not because your subconscious mind has no idea what's reality or not. Have you ever watched a movie and you're bawling in the movie because it's your subconscious mind thinks you're in it. Yeah. You know, the dog didn't die or the people <laughs> didn't get, you know, yeah. but there's a, you, your subconscious mind doesn't know. So when you spend time in meditation each day, visualizing your compelling future, now here's the thing, a new scenario comes up. It's unknown. Your brain goes to the past. It doesn't know that that's not in the past. It thinks you've already experienced it. Now it has that for reference. So fear of the future is solved by visualizing as a practice daily, your compelling best future. That actually trains your brain to look for the possibility instead of the limitation. And it takes work because you have a two to one negativity bias. Your brain will more likely go to the the negative. So you got to work twice as hard to get it to go to. Yeah. So I might fail, but I might also make a million dollars. So I might fail, but I might also impact thousands of people. When I wrote my book, I was horrified to share all this really deeply uh, intimate stuff with people. And, and I had this like almost paralysis in my nervous system to hit send to my editor, you know, and the publisher. And I was like, Oh my gosh. But I thought I had envisioned this compelling future where there was a person who picked up this book and it changed everything for them. And I just kept that in my vision and I had to hit yes. and had to hit send. It just was bigger than the past. Yeah. Uh, does that answer the question? It does. I actually love that. that. That unites with some of my values and some things that I teach. Uh, some things that I, I, when I, when I do my consulting, a lot of what I help people focus on, especially business owners that think from an ego perspective and think from an, a vanity perspective, how many people, how many people are following me, how many people are watching this. Um, I need to bring people down back down to earth and realize one person is following you and one person can be impacted. And, People sometimes don't hit record and sometimes don't hit post um, because they're saying this won't be seen by the millions. When the important thing is that if one person changes based on something you say, that's your responsibility to give that information away to them for free and be generous with that energy. Um, what, what's your approach when you go from one to one and it seems like you're, you've excelled in the one to one and then you're, excelling in the one to more how do you do this from the one to many how do you scale that level of impact you know i actually kind of had it backwards because because i led yoga teacher trainings with like many many people yeah. i had experience in that how, like I, I already knew so i just had to translate that and go okay well when we want to run these programs this is what it looks like um but what i realized when you're going one-to-one People like one-to-one because they think their problems are special. Yeah. What you learn if you're in this game long enough is that no one's special. You're not special. <laughs> and if you're there listening to this and you think you're special and I just hurt your feelings, good. You're not special. There's nothing special about the story you tell about your problem. It might be unique, but there's only about three problems in the world, you know, and the biggest one is disconnection from self, from source, from each other. And so when you're approaching, whether it's one-to-one or one-to-many, when we recognize that we're all the same and the problems we face are all the same, it's that fear of inadequacy that causes us to disconnect, 
that causes us to doubt. Mm-hmm. And then we let doubt drive the car. We just drive around all day avoiding landmines and potholes instead of moving towards a compelling future. Everyone's doing it. So, you know, it's really not that different, Grant. Like, you know, maybe for some people, just the experience and the facilitation aspect, but the teaching's not different. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's actually probably more, um, I don't want to say like dumbed down, but you find things that are more universal um, Mm -hmm. because you're focusing on the commonalities and calling out the issues and the commonalities. Um, I love that. You keep saying connection. Mm-hmm. Um, connection is very hard right now. Connection is hard with social media. Connection is hard with the internet. Uh, there's this, there's this uh, fake perception that everyone's more connected, that people say, you know, we're more connected than ever. When, just like you mentioned before, depression and anxiety are at all-time highs. And medication for those two things are at all time highs. How do people approach the topic of connection and community in a world where everything's online? So I'm going to go after some people here. I hope that's okay. Are you okay with controversy, Grant? I love it. Bring it on. The cancel culture clowns of the universe, the keyboard warriors, they're a big problem. And I'll tell you why because they make people afraid to be vulnerable. So then people self-censor in -hmm. order to belong and that causes disconnect, you know, because what has to happen for connection, we have to have safe spaces to be vulnerable in. We have to have safe spaces to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be heard, to be known. But with social media and people hiding behind their screens and their keyboards, and just canceling and going after people and all that. Like it's so cowardly and it's causing the disconnect on the planet. And if you're one of those people cancel me, please. (laughs) Because connection is the medicine. And I'll tell you how I know that my son was almost dead last year, like almost dead on the streets. And it was connection that saved his life. And he's been clean and sober for 14 months now and has a girlfriend and a puppy and a dog and a beautiful community around him. And if you ask him what was the difference, it was a couple of people that made him feel seen and heard and known besides his mom, you know, (laughs) uh, that created connection. And he said to me, mom, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Hmm. And you know what people, there's people addicted to social media, people addicted to hiding, you know, vulnerability is necessary for connection, for real authentic connection. We have to be able to tell our truths in safe spaces. So what I would say with social media, use your powers for good. We can get connected, share vulnerably. Who gives a crap what other people think? Because that one person that you were talking about, Grant, you can really help someone. You, you might even save somebody's life by sharing your story. And wouldn't that one person be worth it? Mm-hmm. Who cares what the cancel culture says? Like, stop censoring yourself, metering yourself, putting on a mask for other people and show up as you. You do you. And some people won't like it and that's okay. But that's what it takes to get real connection. Actually, I'm very curious because I don't know your your response to this would be. What are your thoughts on AA versus NA? 
Like, uh, do you believe that those are good things? Do you believe, based on your perspective of what you shared on victim mentality, on on things in that nature, how does that relate with addiction? And because I, I have my perspective on it, and it might be something that's a little bit more offensive. But I'm curious well, what your what your perspective is, having been so closely tied to it in so many different so many different avenues. Here's the thing. As I said, every road leads home. And I've seen a lot of people get clean and sober through yoga. I've seen people get clean and sober through religion. I've seen people, you know, at the end of the day, it's the person has to be ready. Yeah. But then what is the common denominator, Grant? It's community. If they're getting sober in the church, there's community. If they're getting sober at the yoga studio, there's community. If they're getting sober at NA or AA, there's community. Mm -hmm. I believe the 12 steps, they're, 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 they work, they work for some people, you know, they work They're And then there's smart recovery and everything else. I would never disparage anything that's helping people. My son is very involved in, in the program and um, in, in uh, NA uh, uh, goes to his meetings two, three times a week and he's helping people. He's sponsoring people and yeah. you know, it saved his life. Any modality. I've seen it in yoga too. It happens in yoga all the time. People come to yoga because they're broken. They don't come to yoga because they're great. They come to yoga because something's wrong in their life. And it's not usually just tight hamstrings. They're looking for healing. They go to church for the same reason. And this is why we wind up with church leaders that are abusive and yoga gurus that are abusing others because effed up people go to these things. And it's the same in any organization. If those people don't really do the work, you're going to wind up with somebody peeing in the pool, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Well, I, I so I want to follow up with this because I guess my 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 hot take is that I don't like the the term alcoholic. I don't like the uh, the term addict um, mm. because I see that as giving power to the thing that uh, drove us there, rather than choosing to say I am me and I struggled with this. Can I ask you how much you know about the the um? the brain function of addiction? Uh, only through things that I've been addicted to, but okay. nothing, nothing through like a research perspective. No. Yeah. So there's a lot of science showing the brains actually work differently. So my son, and all I can say is I I've been called to task by people who say, you should say people that struggle with addiction. You should never say addict. And my son says, I'm a fucking addict. <laughs> like if I don't call myself an addict, then I start to entertain that I might be a person who could dabble in something and then I will mm. die. Mm. He says, that's just me telling myself the truth. Hmm. And, um, and so, you know, what do I know about it? I've not been addicted to substances. So, but I do study the brain a lot and the brain of someone who struggles with, especially substance addiction is markedly different, measurably different on brain scans. There's a, a gap between the, the no and the go <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and it takes seven years of sobriety to heal that. Hmm. So they go to a meeting and say, I'm an addict and that's their way. It's humility. It's humility, right? And humility is part of every spiritual path. It just looks different. Yeah. 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 That's a beautiful answer. Yeah. I love that. That's helpful. Yeah. Because I think, I think I, I guess I'm, I just struggle with anything that I say, I declare this over me. Um, mm -hmm. When I get to choose what that is. Um, now, my experience with my own addiction and everyone, everyone's an addict, addict to something, whether it's coffee, whether it's sugar, whether it's something. For most um, of us, it's judgment. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Me especially. Uh, so, but like in, in that, in that case, like I, I struggle with like, 
I struggle with the boundary confining aspect of that. The way you described it is helpful because I think um, there's a humility required in order to acknowledge something that's legitimate. Um, and if and, there, and if we struggle with something, we need to first acknowledge that there's something we need we struggle with in order to in order to overcome it. Um, I guess I just I just wish that there were people that would overcome it that wouldn't say I uh, I was an alcoholic. I guess yeah, that say say it in that tonality because the reality is you were so much more than that. Um, and I wish I think I think similar to any level of religion, any kind of like you're bridging the gap between the three. But when someone says I'm a Christian, sometimes I can mean more than what it really is, which is I'm a spiritual person and I, I have a I have an understanding of God and a relationship with God. You know, I had the pleasure of attending my son's one year cake. I've never been to a meeting before that in my life. I went to Allen on one time and I was like all these old ladies smoking, talking about their husband. <laughs> I don't want to go there. And, and I'm not knocking it. That was just where I was at in my life. Canceler, canceler. But I want, right. Cancel me all the Al-Anon people. <laughs> the, um, all of the, uh, I, I have never had such a profound experience of community and connection and beauty and humility in my life than to hear people get up there and say, yeah, when I first got sober, I was, you know, with my friend, Nick, that's my son. And we had four brain cells between the two of us trying to have a conversation, but this guy shows up and he phones me every day to make sure I'm okay. And it's part of why I'm still walking the path. And they're telling these stories and I'm just humbled and in awe of their courage. And I think Grant, until we, sit in a room with those people who choose to say I'm an addict, it's wise for us to stand back and just instead of saying, I don't like it to say, I'm curious about it. I don't know. I'd like to learn why they do that. Mm -hmm. I'd like to feel the power of that. Like mm -hmm. I'd invite you to go sit in a room and listen, mm -hmm. see That's how you feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And I think, I think people can probably say similar judgments to, to yoga and probably to Christianity. Absolutely. I, I just think, again, we're all just walking each other home and you got to find a tribe that's going to hold your hand. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> what would you recommend to people for starting to find their tribe? So let's wrap it here. But like in my, in my yeah. mind, someone who feels isolated, someone who feels lonely, um, how do they find their tribe? Well, it's not at home on your couch or behind your computer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I actually just had this question posed to me today uh, earlier and it's more about letting go of the people that are no longer your tribe to make space for the people that are. Mm. And if you're hanging on to people that talk about the past all the time that are always in the past or doing all the same things, or just even people that agree with everything you say, that's not really your tribe. Go find people that say, I, I think you're better than that. It requires something of you. You will have to go a little bit out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to go to new situations sign up for a class, go to things that interest you, meet people that are doing better than you. As um, one of our coaches says, if you're the smartest person on the street, move streets, <laughs> you know, yeah. get yourself in environments where people are better than you at something you want to be good at. And, um, and, and you'll start to find your tribe. I love it. Okay. How can people support you? Where they can, where can they find you? Um, and what is your ideal avatar that you love helping the person that you love to connect with and, and one-on-one -on -one help with? The person that I love to connect with and one-on-one -on -one help is someone who has self-doubt, 
that shame is holding them back, that they um, feel disempowered by the world in some way. That's it. I don't have a, you know, an age group or a, <laughs> a demographic or a financial profile. Um, and the people that I, um, you know, people can come and connect with me at Instagram at Pam Raider at shift labs, um, on our website, shiftlabs.ca, uh, pamrader.com. Um, you can get my book on Amazon. <laughs> cool. Um, but really what I hope Grant is that I, I mean, I just hope that our conversation that like there's one person, as you said, like that is my heart. And if one person takes something from this and goes, yeah, yeah, I get that. And and I'm going to do something different or better in my life because of that, then it doesn't matter to me if people come follow me. <laughs> mm. Mm. That's so beautiful. Thank you for investing this time to impact that one person. I appreciate you. Thank you for making the space for that to be possible. And thank you <laughs> so generously allowing me to come and talk to you because I'm not your average, I'm not your typical guest that you would have on your show. <laughs> and so I, I, wish, really I would love to have more guests that. like you. I would love to have more guests like this. So thank you everybody. Please uh, don't listen to her, go follow her um, and go support her. Please go, uh, go look her up on Instagram um, and, and look up her book. Um, I can't wait to read it. I'm really excited. I haven't read it yet, but, and I don't actually read many books that are memoirs, but I'm really excited to read it. Um, it's so, like a thriller grant. You might like I it. it. I love it. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening everybody. Have a great one.